This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Wildcatter Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. This is the first ever. We've been doing this show for almost three years. We were just talking about it on, uh, on good old social media last night. Started in a started in a closet down the hallway, and here we are. Now we got three dudes on the show at one time. This is crazy. We got them on the casting couch. One casting <laughs> couch. <laughs> We've got. Uh, I'm going to try to remember everybody's name. Mark, Matt, and Chandler from Hulk. Ding, ding, ding. Thanks. Oh, That's good. Man. I've seen man, Chuck just, or I've seen Chuck and Jake. <laughs> I messed up the name. I've seen you mess up names when it's just one guess. I can't you know what? You got three, I'm right? like a walking CRM, man. I don't <laughs> so. We uh, we actually grabbed lunch last night or dinner last night, and so I've actually Sushi. once again Great. broken Sushi. broken yeah. my rule. I know a little bit Where'd more about this than y'all go. And I'm like, well, if I, it's one of the best local places. I don't want to give it away. I don't want it to blow up. But Redfish up in uh, up in Tomball was it good? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was legit. Solid. Yeah. yeah, big big portions. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the the best Six places rules. are in the in the shitty locations. It's like a half boat, half house. Oh yeah, it's one of those places. Yeah, Great atmosphere. Yeah. Trust seafood place if it's half a boat, like you know it's gonna you be know good. it's gonna be good. You know <laughs> it's gonna yeah. be good. So uh, yeah, well, so we had a good time last night. Hopefully, you guys are not too hungover. This will be interesting. <laughs> it's like going left to right. I know. Yeah, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is, is not interrogation. This is not an optimal setup for a podcast, but we'll make it work. <laughs> <laughs> we're breaking it, man. <laughs> so tell us uh, one. We were kind of talking before we got on the podcast because you guys actually dropped off uh, some samples of your tool last week and i was playing around with it and you guys had a great little video on it um uh you know it's showing us the esp clamps and as i was telling you, you know, i've drilled and completed wells yeah. i ran a lot of tools but when it comes to production uh type things i'm not really familiar with them so i'm excited to learn about um esps and um the tool that you guys have so i don't know who wants to take the lead on kind of giving us the the quick rundown on what hulk is yeah, quick rundown on the product. Um, so Hulk is a oil field service company um, specializing in cable protection. So the two products that are in front of us right now, I'd reach for them, but I got this mic in front of me. Uh, Hulk <laughs> Motor Lead, which ultimately goes around the ESP flanges themselves. And so ESP, electric submersible pump. No, yeah, so that one right there. Perfect. Um, so ESP's form of electric, uh, ESP electric submersible pump, form of artificial lift. Um, that goes around the flanges to protect the motor lead and also the capillary tubes. You can run tech lines in that. Um, it's overall protection and securement. And then the second product line that we have, <clears throat> Hulk cross collar cable protection that Colin's grabbing. That's, so that's a seven inch motor lead that you have right there, Colin. That okay. product right here. Um, I that, grab that yeah. one. Here we go. It's the mic. That's the OG right Boom. there. So that's the OG. So that's our like cross product models here. I'm like, <laughs> right? So that goes on the production tubing. Uh, so it'll fit four and a half inch production tubing, three and a half inch different size casts. But that's specifically for two and seven eights. And that's what we see out in the field for the majority of the production we see. 
Yeah. Um, so today, I feel like we're on the Home Shopping Network. I know that's what I said. I feel like I'm like, like spinning around. Like, yeah. like, guys, I put three these products here for a new show. show. Like, people come, people come pitch pretty. their tools, and like I'll sit here and model it for them. Put, the, put the props here for a reason. Hand model. <laughs> so today, with Hulk motor lead and cross collar, we've got five hundred thousand of these deployed over. the This is just three and a half years too. We've got five hundred thousand. Five hundred thousand yeah. units, uh, sixteen hundred uh, wells that it's been installed in. And then over 30 plus operators in the space right now that are currently running us. Jeez. Uh, with the Permian being our biggest uh, area of expansion. Yeah. Um, you did the introductions, but Matt, my background ultimately is a large OFS company, worked there for a good deal of time. Mark's background worked at him with that OFS company. Mm -hmm. And then Chandler, a good friend from back home, he's got finance and then manufacturing background. Nice. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Why we got into Hulk, um, ultimately, when we were at the OFS space, there was such a void in the marketplace with what the current product line was. And we just decided, like, this can be done better. And ultimately, got to where we are today, filled the void, and here we are with Hulk. Okay, so can you elaborate on that void a little bit? Because I'm interested in, you know, how it was done for, you know, what was the opportunity that you saw you know, I'm assuming, um, you know, maybe like NOV or some of these types had a product that were, were similar, but, um, you know, maybe it was just not a great product. What was that void that y'all saw? Yeah, so, I would um, say, uh, so when you look at that space, you know, our industry is uh, pretty aged, right? And uh, so there's foundational companies out there that have been doing this for a long time. And most of those companies got bought and sold again and again and again. And they ended up losing focus. And so you got all these products out there that work-ish, um, but they didn't have a lot of ESP experience. They didn't understand the challenges and they really weren't built for unconventionals. And so we were primarily working in unconventionals and that's where we went. What's the difference in ESPs and the configuration between a conventional and unconventional? Yeah, so I mean, the primary thing, obviously, is just, you know, historically, it's pretty vertical wells, right? Yeah. Pretty straightforward. A uh, lot of opportunity for larger casing, uh, big pumps, but pretty short equipment. So today, you know, we're going down 10,000 feet, but none of it's straight down, right? Mm -hmm. You got all kinds of inclination, deviation, uh, you get these multi-well pads, and then you got to step out inevitably to hit more zones. Um, so with those big step outs, you got this cable that's running down there and it's just dragging that cable all the way down for 10,000 feet. Yeah. So those, you know, that's kind of some people that may be listening to this may not have, um, you know, downhole knowledge. So when you have a, um, when you drill a well, you never have a straight well, even if it is you a vertical, right? Like you're going to have <laughs> dog ways, different <laughs> inclination, like it always happens. And so you have drag, um, especially once you go out into the horizontal, you're going to have drag. And so with an ESP, and correct me if I'm wrong, not an expert on ESPs, but you guys are going to have this cable that runs all the way up the uh, tubing. And so you got to make sure that that cable is not getting caught up in that drag or else it's going to tear up, right? Exactly. So conventional ways that were done previous to 2012, it was banding. And that's what the Balkan was our backyard where we worked. And so they would band equipment. And then as so is, like the the silver metal band yeah, it's like cranking right. them okay yep. so they would use bands and then ultimately in 2012 2013 they started then doing larger pads and then spacing was a little tighter you got that inclination deviation step outs that happened around like 2000 feet 
And then you started seeing failure, 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 failure. And you're like, where's the denominator? Like what's happening? What's chewing up the cable? And ultimately looking at wellboard diagrams, you're saying, okay, we need to ultimately secure, protect. And there were products on the marketplace that at the time were predominantly used in the offshore market. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately it becomes then this, well, this is a need. We need to ultimately run this product on U.S. land to protect these wellbores. And so in the Balkan, 90, 98% of the wells that are ESPs right now or that are deployed on ESP from artificial lift um, have cable protection. And then you're starting to see that in the Permian as well. It's a slower, it's, it's a, the Permian from the development standpoint really started taking place in like 14, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And the Balkan was like 08, 09, 10. Yeah. So that Permian, it's just, we're starting to see that same type trajectory of well bores that we're seeing in the Balkan now in the Permian, um, which is this overall cable protection adoption necessity. So do you run yeah. just one of these? Do you run 20 of them? Like- Great question. Um, so on the ESP flanges themselves, it's typically seven, seven to eight. Okay. Flanges. So um, Mark, do you want to run through like an ESP like total connection? Yeah, yeah sure. Run us through like the configuration. Yeah, t- talk about the configuration. So, so ESP 101, here we go. <laughs> ESP 101. Okay, so you guys know what a sump pump is, right? Yeah. Okay, so imagine one of those things, but we got to stick it 10,000 feet down the ground. So at the very bottom, you're going to have a sensor bolted to a motor. Motor's bolted to a sealer or protector. That's how they like equalize pressure. Um, they protect the motor that way. And then you've got an intake with gas separators and pumps and all these different connections. Well, that string is like 150 feet long. Could be shorter. Could be a lot longer. But you can't take that on a truck, right? So what they do is they're bolted in like 25-ish foot sections, 20, 25-foot sections. And at those flanges, that's where the clamp goes. Okay. Now that equipment, a lot of that equipment's four inches. And then you look at the casing ID, it's like, you know, four and a half to five inches, somewhere in there. Not a lot of room. And you got this small cable hanging out the outside of this equipment that weighs like 2,000, 3,000 pounds, mm-hmm. just grinding against it. Right. And again, it has to get through the wellhead and you got to go 10,000 feet with this thing. Um, so now that cable, it's got somewhere between 2,000 and 3,500 volts. So a lot of voltage. So any kind of nick, ding, impact, anything like that, man, especially when you start them up, you get this inrush of current and boom, you pop your cable. Yeah. Pretty, pretty pricey thing to go, to go retrieve and fix and send back down again. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is spend all that time getting down hole and then you go to press the green button and and on switch and doesn't turn on. And it's a, it's a process that these operators learn. Running any tool like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing, like to answer your question about the void in the market there were alternative options and other providers of, of different products that um, were either securing or, or trying to protect. But I think the void was nobody was focusing on cable protection. And so while there were some other uh, options out there, they weren't hitting the mark and they have, may have been a, a part of a portfolio from a company. So they weren't fully focused on cable protection. Yeah. And what we saw is there needs to be someone who can fully focus on it. And that's really what these guys saw. And then they came to me with the challenge of, all right, so in order to hit that mark, we've got to consider all these variations. So there's so many different specs of equipment. And then on the production tubing, you're um, connecting with different thicknesses of cable and capillary combinations. So we had to include versatility and flexibility in this product. 
and it took a lot of time. It, I mean, it was a, yeah. it was a major challenge to, uh, you know, accommodate so many different variations. Yeah. I was going to say like on that one over there, that's two and sevens EUE, which you guys are fortunate because most tubing is either going to be EUE or pH six. Right. So it's like you got, you know, two main, uh, sizes and grade of tubing that you're going to use. But uh, you brought up like the clearance issue because like I'm looking at that and I think over there is beefy, right? Like it's mm, pretty yeah. big. And so I imagine like if you had four and a half inch or five and a half inch production casing, like you don't have much clearance even with that. What is that actually like? What is that made of? How does that um, like like when I first looked at the tool, I told Jake, I said, what makes me nervous and you guys can uh, offer your rebuttal on this is yeah. like the bolting system. Like yep. I saw the bolts. I was like, shit, man, like, like those bolts, you know, uh, H2S ate it up and like you lost a bolt down yeah. hole. I was telling Jake, it's like the last thing you want is like metal down hole, right? Like, is there something like special that that's made out of to withstand uh, resistance and, and protect the cable? Or is it just, you know, is it? Just metal. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, just metal would not fly in this market. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's a great point because, uh, see, that was one of the challenges with the products that existed before we did. Um, so, yeah, so we're, we're a specific kind of ductile iron. So although it's a casted product, it goes through special heat treat and all kinds of stuff. Um, so it can take huge impacts and um, does not shatter. That's like the whole beauty of what it does. It stays together. Even if you break it, it still stays together. Oh really? Yeah, and it's because it, it yeah, kind I wish of we had like some destructive equipment here. Oh like, man, it's pretty awesome. We've done it. We yeah, yeah, yeah. should show some videos. Yeah, we'll share some videos. Can you guys it's share what it's made of, or is that proprietary? Right, so it is literally a ductile iron. Okay. Um, it's yeah. a type of it. Um, we'll let uh, we'll let everybody else figure out what exactly which one it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't give away the secrets. Yeah, nice but, try. And then like the the bolting and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean all that's all that's a real concern. You know, the bolts are way over designed for what they need to be. Yeah. Um, when you watch some of the installation videos, you see how hard they are on them, how quick they are. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is built for field service guys. Like, yeah. To understand like their world, um, coming back as a field engineer, like having to live that life. Um, yeah. So and dive in there. Oh, go ahead. I was just to say, like, what I love about episodes like this is it's guys from the industry who recognize an issue and you're like, you know what? I think we can do this better. Cause we mm -hmm. have people who come to us all the time listen to the podcast for years and they're like, yeah, you know, I want, want to do something. I'm just not really sure like what ideas. And it's like, just pay more attention to like what you're doing in your daily lives. And so it's guys like you that are usually from the industry that are going to like actually solve some of the biggest problems. I'm curious, you know, I've built software, we've built other companies, but never really built like anything that's like, like physical hardware. Something you can hold. Yeah. Something you can actually <laughs> hold. Right? Yeah. Tangible. It's not only that. Like, I mean, like the barriers of getting a downhold tool used. I mean, we could, I'm sure talk about that a lot too. So yeah, like, to Jay's point, tell us how you guys like actually went about getting this developed and um, getting your prototype and commercializing it and going through those pain points of actually getting an operator to run it down hole. Yeah. So uh, my background was in manufacturing. It was for a different industry, construction industry. But um, I think the, the initially we did third party engineering. So we had the support to help us uh, develop something that was more robust and that is the original Hulk over there yeah. that you're holding. And Were you guys still like bootstrapped at this time or you'd raise some money for three? Yeah, well, so the three of us put our own money in this. We invested yeah. in it. We had some friends and family to help out. Um, I think one of the greatest things about this business is we've been able to hold on to the equity and we're very proud of that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, initially we did utilize uh, some prototyping and some aid to get going overseas. Uh, we were able to find a manufacturer over there who had experience in downhole tools and 
uh, Mark and Matt and I would collaborate. Uh, they provided a lot of uh, education, information on metallurgy and and the constraints uh, as I was trying to learn these the, the wellbore and downhole conditions. And then uh, the great part is if you think about the transition, so you brought up a good point, it's really hard to get things made, physical mm. product. I just imagine you guys like in Game of Thrones, like when they're making the swords, like you guys are just in there just like <laughs> yeah, right. banging away, right? Like, just the like, in the barn. Like, just. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like covered in like, you know, black. Well, and that's a great point because initially – when we started making this, there was a little more of a old school manufacturing method that we utilized. Um, and we knew that that is not where we wanted to, to be the end result of our process. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest successes of this business is the evolution of how we manufacture the products. And I think what we're really proud of right now is to say that 90% of the products that we make are made in the U.S. Oh, and it was a huge feat. Um, but And there's a lot of reasons why uh, most of it was um, challenging ourselves and committing to learning, uh, um, Hey, everyone says everything's cheaper overseas, China, India, but is that true? And with the advancements in technology, uh, softwares, robotics, you know, what can we get done here? So we were lucky enough to be able to partner with a, a foundry cause we cast everything. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. as opposed to stamp where you're putting uh, metal into a press, when you cast, you melt down that metal, pour it into a, a mold. Mm -hmm. So we scoured uh, the U.S., met with lots of foundries. We found a, a, a partner uh, in uh, north of Green Bay, Wisconsin, who's a big uh, foundry. They do a lot of agriculture, a lot of um, heavy automotive, automotive industry. And they're like, wow, this is interesting. You know, you guys are oil and gas. We don't have a lot of oil and gas clients. Uh, and with their support and them connecting us with uh, more of a robotic machine shop, we can take raw castings. They ship to this machine shop and quite literally, guys, there's a, a conveyor belt and then robotic arms that, which is, you know, where we started to where we are now is crazy. <laughs> They're picking up like, tss, tss, tss. and so it takes a raw casting. It sticks into this photo booth. All these cameras look at it and they're like, all right, that casting's good to go. And then it goes into machines to machine down to its, its skew because there's different thicknesses of, of cables that we combine with. So yeah. in this process, we're taking the same casting and making six different SKUs. So it's, it's pretty mm, awesome. That's Versus pretty previously you had. Yeah. Previously we had to invest dollars into a separate set of tooling and molds yeah. so for six one of, product. Yeah. You'd have six different castings and yeah. you'd have to. Yeah. So I said a multitude of reasons. Out. This yeah. is one of the reasons we were yeah. able to justify it. The product he's um, talking about is the one that's in the case, that longer one. That long one, yeah. 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 It's, um, I mean, I got a lot of respect for manufacturing things like this. Like, uh, like four years ago, I bought this uh, company that was a uh, marijuana product and it was CNC machined and it was just a, a dugout. And anyways, like had a great company that was machining them yeah. in the U.S., tried to go overseas, Mexico, try to find a manufacturer, like had a great manufacturer that could do 100 at a time. But it's mm -hmm. trying to figure out, hey, how do we do 10,000 at yep. a time? And it's so fucking hard to manufacture. <laughs> like I, I was like, man, like this is like it, it's difficult to find a partner that can help you with the manufacturing yeah. and find a scalable process like that to where you can without get, Chandler, we couldn't have done this. Like yeah. It's yeah. the, the international connections he had for us to be able to go out and start the product that way. Yeah. And then yeah. now bring it back stateside. It's yeah. Like full swing. Yeah. Like but, I, I got a lot of respect for that. Cause like, it's hard. Well, what do we do best in America? Just like fracking. We figure out the best way of doing things. Yeah. So I think as we expand into international markets, what's going to be a big thing is all the processes we've learned here 
and implementing them with manufacturers overseas. Because one of the big things we've learned is, you know, what's the, what makes sense? What's the best way of doing something? And with all the ESG um, talk going on and that being big in the news and, and very important, it's like, all right, so one of the biggest things we can do is we can localize our supply chain. Mm-hmm. And so uh, those big cargo ships that are going all around the world, I mean, the carbon footprint of one of those is massive. Yeah. I think you read yeah. different things. Some are more, one cargo ship equates to 50 million cars. Yeah. So I think a real story and what we're challenging ourselves and what would be a good challenge for the industry is to say, all right, how, how can we be better? Let's, let's think about our supply chain and is there an easier way to, to source our materials instead of going halfway around the world to get them? Or if you're selling to an international market, manufacture in a different country. Didn't you guys say that like you, you, you'd spend a lot of time in China too? Originally, yeah, and I've had like, a background going there uh, in prior work experience. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the coolest thing for me was eye-opening that you can get things done in the U.S. Yeah. People think you don't. Maybe that made sense decades ago, but technology has really created a situation where you mm-hmm. can get things done in the U.S. Yeah, so, that's crazy. I love to hear that. It's funny talking, you know, talking about like the ESG um, point and, you know, the angle of being able to do things local. Someone created this parody account on Twitter the other day that's called uh, Bros for Decarbonization. (laughs) And anyways, he said, like, we're talking about buying supplements. He's like, oh, you got to check out this company in Houston. They're local. It's good for your carbon footprint, bro. (laughs) So (laughs) same analogy here. It's like, man, if you like, yeah, you start thinking about, um, the impact that that could have one freight ship. Then also, you know, just from an operation standpoint, like shipping and logistics is a shit show right oh. now across the world. Oh, I mean, imagine so like, imagine how much easier it is being able to, you know, have it manufactured a <laughs> few we states away. Breakfast this morning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It just add that much complexity to like <coughs> running a business is already hard enough. And then when you have supply chain issues, I mean, it just really well, adds to it. It's also cash flow overseas. You got to pay for product before it ships. Yeah. Here you can work with companies and, and that's such a good yeah, point. Better utilize yeah. your cash. That's such a good point. Like it'd be worth diving in some time to look. Like, is it really cheaper to manufacture overseas instead of here in the in the US with the advancements of technology? Yeah, I mean, I think what makes us unique is that, you know, we're this ground up kind of thing where you already have these large companies that have a dedicated supply chain and everybody in there's got bonuses on their supply chain initiatives and everybody's, yeah. you know, so siloed. Whereas like today, you know. We're finding that, you know, we're kind of the new guard like you guys are in this industry. And then our manufacturers are also kind of the new guard, right? And so from here on, right, this is built into our DNA. Yeah. So from here on out, that's who we are, right? Kind of part of our culture too. Yeah. It's like when we have whiteboard sessions, like I'm sure you all do, we sit down and like, all right. Let's let's gut check here. Are we doing this the right way? Could we is this is there an easier way to do this? Something that makes more sense. Um, yeah, always. Like so always kind of part, yeah. <laughs> yeah, never enough work. Yeah. So for you guys, you know, talk about like actually getting it deployed. Like it's one thing to have a good product, but a good product's nothing if you can't get it deployed. Right. And oil and gas industry is really infamous for asking the question, oh, like saying, oh, this product's great. Who else is using it? And, you know, they want to see someone do it first. How did you guys actually start getting it into wells? I think it was a lot of trusted relationships that we had within the industry, especially mm-hmm. in the Balkan. And then you've got ultimately a knowledge base for the product and ultimately it was, it was low hanging fruit up in the Balkan at the time, like clamps had already been deployed. Right. 
and there was maybe an open area for that void to be filled, a new product to be introduced, ultimately, and um, yeah, the relationships and ultimately getting the product in the ground. Like you said, that's one of the hardest parts. It's like, well, what's so many of the questions we got was like, okay, so the bolting mechanism, what's going to cause it from coming undone, right? And it's like, well, it's torque. And if it's torque to a certain set point, like it will not come undone. And that's been proven over 500,000 units, right? Mm-hmm. But the initial hurdle, the brand identity, knowing, no one knowing who, who we are, I mean, that was coming from a large OFS company. You, you throw that name around, and they're like, oh, great. Yeah, tools, what do you need? Like, yeah. Let's run them. And then all of a sudden, you don't have that identity. And that was a struggle at first. But uh, long story short, it, it's the trust, it's the relationship with that individual. And then knowing we had a product uh, that would work. And then it, uh, it's like Guy Raz, right? The, how I built this? Yeah. Was it a little bit of luck or was it, was it all skill? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a blend of both. For sure. Sure. Yeah. It's a blend. Anyone that tells you that there's not luck involved with successful businesses timing, is bullshitting. Yeah. Timing, there's so luck. Timing everything. and momentum mm-hmm. uh, make or break businesses, right? Yeah. And so um, on the bolting mechanism, uh, not to get off on a side tangent, but you said it's torque. When the one, um, are there tool hands that run these for you guys or are um, just work over rig hands making them up? This episode is brought to you by our partners over at Liquid Frameworks. You know, we talk about all this cutting edge technology every single week. And what's crazy, this is still a lot of EMPs, a lot of oil field service companies are still managing their field operations in Excel and on paper, and it's 2021. That's what's crazy to me. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. It's such a pain, it's time consuming, and all in all, it's just highly inefficient. Luckily for you, Liquid Frameworks has been making people's lives in the field and the back office so much easier for years now. Their field effects platform streamlines communication between accounting, field operations, and office management, all at the touch of a button. Trusted by teams at Liberty Oilfield, Expro, Shaw Corps, and numerous others. So if you're still stuck on paper in Excel and thinking about finally making that switch, which you should, check out the website, schedule a demo. We've actually got a link for you to sign up for a custom demo in the show notes. It's liquidframeworks.com forward slash digital wildcatters. Liquid Frameworks is also going to be presenting the field effects platform at the Houston Energy Tech Night on October 27th, 2021. So if you haven't registered for that you haven't been to energy tech night before come check it out come see liquid frameworks field effects platform live you'll be there to meet with the team ask questions plus a ton of other really cool technologies so we'll see you guys there go check them out yeah so um the start of the company there were ultimately the rig hands would ultimately run so mm-hmm. the spooler and the rig hand two people could put the clamp on one has the pneumatic gun uh, that's ultimately then torquing the bolt down and then someone else is putting it on it can be a one-man job, too. It just works a whole lot more efficient with two. Yeah. So you can mate that product on seven-inch, in seven-inch casing on two and seven-eighths production tubing in like eight seconds. Okay. So you're saving on a 10,000-foot well versus some of the other products, a stamp-style product, you're saving like two hours. Yeah. It's a significant amount of time. Um, and so now, in the last year, we've developed our own field service side. Okay. And so we're actually starting to service that offering someone out to location, um, took a big jump in insurance, things like that, <laughs> right? To be able to do that, logistics, yeah. hiring people, field yep. service. Yeah. But we've gotten to that point to where if we really want to represent the brand like we want it, we're spread amongst 30 operators now and yeah. we're trusting every operator to execute it. Like I don't have seven phones at one time to be able to check in with everybody, yeah. especially with motor lead. 
Motor Lead is such a precise product. Yeah. And it's the largest OD in the string to where if you're installing this wrong, it's going to hang up. And, and yeah. that yeah. comes back on us. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. It's <clears throat> like, it's nice if you guys are putting your hands on it and actually installing it because it, you know, that it's getting installed properly. Right. And exactly. Well, it was a little different when it was just us, the three of us. And then we were adding a few people. <laughs> we were able to like, all right, we got to install this week. We're going to, you know, someone's going to be there. <laughs> but as we grow and you add people to the team, there's real value in the in the field services. Aspect. Yeah. How big is the team now? Yeah. So 20 plus people. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And then we've got a lot. It feels a lot bigger with some of the contract work that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It helps us. But yeah. When you're torquing out those bolts, um, you said, you know, someone has an impact gun. Um, that's what I was going to ask is like, does it have to be done with a torque wrench to specific torque or is it just when it sucks up? Um, is it, is it tight enough? Yeah. So, um, Oh man, you've worked in the field, so I'm like, gonna be careful. I say this. <laughs> I've been there too, but no, we have we have a spec. You know, we have yeah. a you know we we'd love it to be torqued. I love every that point because like I've never torqued anything to spec. Like I just get a rough neck tight. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. We put some fail safes in there. To, to yeah, so that, that's right. So I mean, it, it does have a spec, and we hammer the spec, and we tell them no. There's only this is all you get. But yeah. the reality is no. There's a, there's a lot of leeway in there. Okay, cool. intentionally done. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, you got to like any oil tools, like you always have to, you know, we were talking before the podcast that we've had those bolting podcasts on and oh, yeah. like the most like fascinating thing about it to me is like, shit, like I didn't know that much like thought went into bolting systems, <laughs> like yeah. put a hammer wrench on it and I hit on it or get a cheater pipe, oh, yeah. like just never mm -hmm. really put that much thought into torque and uh, bolting things down. But yeah, I was just like kind of curious if, um, you know, it, it was like is really finicky on, on spec or if it had some with that particular leeway. product it has two fingers that are ultimately biting onto the upset of the tubing yeah. to where if you then over torque 30 foot pounds of spec if you then over torque to 60 pounds which we're not suggesting you're not damaging the cable anymore because yeah. those fingers are grabbing into the tubing so it yeah. will not grip anymore gotcha so you've got those fail sa uh, fail safes in in check to and i think jake not. asked you and you touched on it a little bit but on the topic of how many you run, you said that you run about eight of these on kind of like the BHA of the ESP, but on those, are you running those on every joint or yeah. is, so every joint yeah, you run so those on? Okay. Typical Balkan well, um, Balkan formation, three forks, you're landing at anywhere from 8,500 to 10,000 feet. Mm -hmm. You've got some, you've got some deeper where you're setting the ESP in the vertical section of the water, the, yeah. the vertical, right? Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so you're running anywhere from like 280 to 330 something joints. Okay. Got you. And you want a connection on every single one, um, just from an overall protection standpoint, because it's amazing, like crooked wellheads right at surface or then just kickouts right at a thousand feet. There gets to this point where you ever, you have the conversation with the operator. It's like, well, can we run every other, can we run, you know, on this section? It's ultimately you run the entire string and it's, yeah. it's, it's a fail safe. That's funny. I always remember this rig I went on. I was running pipe recovery in West Texas for wireline and I go out to this rig and I mean, they are stuck as fuck. And anyways, <laughs> like I'm talking to them and I'm like, what's, what deviation are we at? And they're like 30 degrees. And this is a vertical well. Yeah. And like 10,000 foot vertical well. And I was like 30 degrees. I was like, how'd you guys get there? And they're like, well, we kept running surveys and we just thought it was wrong. So we just kept <laughs> drilling. <laughs> and anyways, like, you know, on vertical wells back then, it's like if you got outside of three degree deviation, you know, you had a cement and time drill um, to go back down. 
Um, but anyways, I just like laugh, like you never know what you'll see, you know, even a thousand, thousand feet down. Cause I don't think it's as big of a problem anymore. This is like nine years ago, yeah, yeah. but like back then it was like, yeah, you just had people, they'd be running a survey and be like, oh no, it's, it's just wrong. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> to your point, Colin, like I listened to Trisha Petroner. Yeah, right? Trisha. Yeah. 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 Um, so we listened to her podcast this morning and then we've got operators. That's our legacy operation up in Williston. I mean, they're spudding and TDing wells and four days five mm -hmm. days now and that's that's north dakota this is six years ago it's like 21 days to drill a well right? oh i was just talking about that uh what was i talking about that on um some podcast or piece of content yeah it was a podcast i think um but i was talking about that because when i started drilling in 2010 i mean pioneer natural resources wasn't even drilling horizontals yet no, i mean really like this is like right yeah. at the beginning of shell took uh anywhere from two to three weeks to drill an 11,000 foot vertical. And then you look at where we're at today and Different it's like, it's like 10 days to drill a 20,000 foot lateral. And yeah. I'm just like, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. But with that, I mean, you, you talk to any, any guy that has downhole knowledge and you know that there's dog legs. There's, Not friendly yeah. to the production side yeah. at all. Not and that's what, that's actually, this could be a whole podcast in itself is that so, drilling like drilling doesn't give a shit about production. <laughs> like no, they don't care. The connection yeah. between drilling and production, it's uh Yeah. That's your problem. That's like I just gotta <laughs> drill this well in T D casing and get out of here and then different we're metrics, good. right? To go by. Yeah. yeah. That's so, why we're here, man. Yeah. What yeah. are like, you know, talk to us from like let's dive into building the business, the operations side, scaling the business. You guys said you've been around three years. Is that right? Yeah, three and a half. Three and a half years, okay. Um, there's nothing easy about building businesses, right? So what were some of the challenges that like really stand out to you guys, either from product design, manufacturing, building the team? Um, like I got one. Tell it. And I think it'll feed into some other conversation, but I think initially, especially with the great relationships uh, that Matt and Mark had, I think there was more of a thought that we'd go to some of the big service companies and have an easier time breaking into the market and so what did you think like licensing it to them and letting them distribute uh, or, or selling it to them and, and letting them have mm -hmm. a margin and bring us to a, a bigger audience so we could increase volume yeah but what we found is there was a little pushback there and, and i think what we realized there's less care there was less care at the time of like hey this is another product plus we were nobodies mm -hmm. um and they didn't know hulk yet but with thank goodness to these relationships and calling on the operators and really getting a chance to get in front of them and for them to believe in the product, test the product, have a good experience and want to come back and, and buy more. Um, Long-term, it really worked out for us because like Matt said, we have more than 30 uh, operator customers and, and we are some with service companies now too, but it gives us a foothold and we're not reliant on, on a small group of customers, which is a positive and a benefit throughout the business. So even if we need to go get uh, debt for real estate or, or, and they look at our business, they're like, Oh, you got 30 customers and you guys are stabilized. You're not reliant so on true. just a few customers. So yeah, you're, you're diversified across your client yeah. base. You know, you don't have just one client that's mm -hmm. majority of revenue. Yeah. At yeah. first yeah. we were like, Oh man, I thought we were going to blow this out pretty quick. And then it took a little bit of slower start, but man, has it turned out to be a positive yeah. thing. Yeah. It allows us to be so in tune with the operator too and like have this partnership mm -hmm. because previously the business model with third party items is sell to the major service companies and then they'll represent you and then where your product goes from there, who knows. And then the feedback loop and everything else that gets a little lost there, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. And so 
what a grind it was to get to where we are. Well, that's what I was about to say is the thinking of, hey, we'll go to the big uh, service providers, you know, NOV, Schlumberger, whoever it may be. The train of thought there is because it is so tough to deploy or to manufacture and deploy a physical product that is going down hole. I mean, can be super capital intensive, um, you know, just long sales cycle. And so that's the first thought is like, hey, we'll go to the major providers and we'll leverage their platform and get scale. Um, I think that's why you see three people sitting here because we are more vertically integrated and it really required a diverse skill set to be able to tackle this thing. Yeah. Um, And it's turned out to be an incredible partnership. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you heard it from him earlier. They wouldn't have been able to do the manufacturing uh, without you, right? And Mm -hmm. so it's like you need, we should also like talk about that a little bit too, like complementing skill sets between the team, um, not having too much overlap there. That way you guys, you know, all bring a skill set to the table. Like how did y'all meet? And your wife actually asked the question. She was like, so who's the CEO? I was like, we're all directors of the company. Yeah. I was like, there's no, there is no CEO title. Um, it's, you know, we're the CEO of our different divisions. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're so functioning on like our different responsibilities and avenues. Then we have uh, weekly meetings with the team on Tuesdays and the weekly meetings from management on Thursdays. And it's, it's that time where it's like everybody has their role and function. It's this like cohesive environment where like, I don't like if this happens with every business, that's great. But like, I thought there would be a lot more like ups and downs on that end. And it's worked out like pretty solid. That's Something great. about three works when you have to make a decision. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Isn't there a rule of three or something like that? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Kind of like brings, brings some balance. Um, so you said that, uh, you know, the Bakken was like really kind of, the catalyst um, sounds like Permian Basin starting to take off. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, Permian Basin right now is our largest growth area. Um, roughly thirty percent of the operators currently are running cable protection, um, and large ESP client base down there. Though, uh, from that's got to be pretty exciting if only thirty percent are running it's cable it's, protection because it just like. Like it's an educational 70, thing. At least 70% of the market to grow into, right? That's exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. It's an educational thing. And it's going to be with this business, it's been a step-by-step process and continuing to grow it. And right now it's, it's just going to continue to meet with the operators and have instances like this where we can sit down and chat and shop and meet with meet and do lunch and learns just to continue to spread that word. Cool. What's, what's the ultimate goal for you guys? I mean, you said you've already run 500,000 500, of these bad boys across 30 operators. Yeah, I mean, like, where do you go from there? Right now, and then I'll let you guys take it. We got asked a question yesterday by a service provider that came by for a lunch and learn. Um, they're like, what, what are you going to do next? I was like, we're so focused on cable protection. We're just in the production space right now. Mm-hmm. Like you talk about drilling completions, the fiber optic lines that are being run, uh, tech lines. Um, there's so much room in the space. I did it with fiber optic lines in the Marine Corps. Like, yeah. Somebody would literally step on a fiber optic line, break it. And then it's like, oh God, I have to sit here and <laughs> splice we're, these oh, things. We're yeah. there to protect it. And yeah. like, if it becomes subsurface thing clamping too, I mean, we've not really dove into that too much, but right now it's, it's all, um, I said Expanding subsurface. Internationally yeah. too. Yeah. yeah internationally yeah. as well. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of leg, uh, yeah, so for you like scaling clamps. geographically going internationally, but also potentially product offering and different types of, uh, things that you guys are 
different cable applications that you guys are protecting. Like I'm even thinking like, you know, y'all are focused on land right now. Like offshore downhole is way more complex than, yeah. than land is. So we've gotten some, some of those calls. It's just yeah. like, yeah, let's, let's prepare for this. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've spent, spent a couple of years now putting together some high horsepower engineering team here, here in Houston and some designers and everything. Uh, you know, obviously we're able to get these products done. Um, but like you're alluding to like the risk and the testing you got to do and all the qualification, uh, we've got the team now that's capable of doing that. Mm -hmm. And we've had, uh, we've been invited by a major operator to do something for, uh, not quite offshore, but that level of, of, uh, opportunity there. And so that is a next step for us to grow into. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, like you said, from a product offering standpoint, the diversity, like two and seven eights, right? Like the rest of the world uses three and a half, four and a half, right? There's so much more to it. And then complexity, but different um, completion, uh, you know, control systems and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So huge yeah, amount of exciting. growth yeah. There, yeah. It's funny, man. I like stuff like this because like, you just look at it like it looks like a boring business, right? Like mm -hmm. anyone outside of oil and gas would look at this exactly. you're like, this isn't fucking cool tech startup. What is this? <laughs> Get the shit out of here. But like, like it is really interesting. Um, one, it's interesting from engineering standpoint, uh, manufacturing standpoint. Like to me, like everyone talks about um, like building software startups being hard, you know, development. It is. It's hard to like, like scale software. Um, but I personally think it's harder to build stuff like this. And there's not a ton of like, story like oil and gas probably has more stories like this than anywhere um and it just seems like there's an infinite amount of opportunity out there like there's always going to be somewhere to make a better better tool or a better product especially as you know as esps grow or you know what's going to be the next what's going to be the next tool that he's mm -hmm. used down hole and then yeah. what ancillary services or products mm -hmm. will come off of that so i think that that's what's exciting about oil and gas yeah and the thing we like about it is is although it is all those things you said, uh, bringing in the, the new age vibe and like at our offices and our team, which we have to give a huge shout out to because this business would not function without the team we brought yeah. together. And I think they would all say when, when, uh, they came in from their initial interview, uh, and during the time they spent with us that we do what we say we're going to do and we're going to flush this out, but we're just getting started. We're going to continue to expand into new things everyone's everyone's ideas are welcome um which is is really true and then also creating that environment you were giving us a tour earlier where it doesn't have to be work it can be fun mm -hmm. and um you know just making sure that everyone has the flexibility they need we all have different um life situations mm -hmm. so being able to come to work and get shit done and then be able to go home to your family be able to do the things that you want to do in your life that's what we're about. That's good, man. Like that is something that's important to us and that we hammer on, uh, changing the culture hmm. in oil and gas. And you know, I come from OFS background and you spend hundred, 110 hours a week out in the field. And like one of the things that pissed me off the most when I was running wireline is, you know, I'd be out on a Apache frack job for 40 hours, fracking this well, and then get back, you know, three or four o'clock in the morning and then they would require us to be at the shop at eight o'clock even if we didn't have a job just sitting around yeah and it was like the most archaic thinking just because like no your ass is going to sit up here yeah and then five o'clock would roll around you leave to go home and then boom you get called out on a job and you'd be out and so 
anyways, um, just like culture and, you know, not to be a dead horse, we've talked about it on the show a lot, but like you'll have like major oil and gas companies get up on panels and they'll bitch and cry and be like, oh, we can't uh, attract millennial mm. talent. No young people want to work in this industry. It's like, you got to change the culture. And it's like little things <clears throat> like that. Like, hey, let's have fun. All ideas are welcome. Guess what? That is like, is basic and common as that seems like that is not a mindset in oil and gas especially with engineers with egos is like ideas aren't welcome at all places and then just like flexibility like that's what people want like yeah, come in and get your shit done work let's crush it and then have fun doing it yep the 20 employees that you asked about what some of the challenges from growing the business and just like the startup mentality and where we're at people has been such a tough part, but the core people we have now, those 20 people, like just so solid. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Amazing. And yeah, it, it, but to find them, like hard. It, it's, <laughs> a hard. it's, it's a hard. hard. Yeah. And with you guys growing this business right now, yeah. like it just, yeah. you, I never realized how much time it took. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah, definitely it's hard to like guys. find cultural fits, to have the technical talent that you need. Like, Tremendous. You know, I bet there's different areas of um you know like between digital wall catters and y'all's company like what's hard about digital wall catters is um you know we take we're a creative company right and so there was nothing in oil and gas that like we couldn't go steal talent from anyone because no one was doing what we wanted to do right um for y'all it's uh you know finding uh cultural fits that you know have technical expertise and it's just it's hard and um you know my or not my motto but a motto i've always gone by is uh you hire slow and you fire fast and you just find like you, it takes a long time to find the right people and oh, yeah. it's not a process that you want to rush either yeah. no you want to hire right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah yeah well, i guess the other thing to add there is talking about a product metal clamps uh we've brought a brand to it that's pretty cool hulk yeah I mean, it's a great brand you know we brought y'all swag and yeah we're trying to uh make something that may seem um not overly interesting to some and have a big LinkedIn presence, big social media presence. Dude, the uh, little video the future, the, the video yeah. flyer that you guys sent. So like we yeah. opened up the tools. So if I, you guys, I, I don't know. I, I, told them it's not, the tools. I told them it's not even here because Misty has it. Trying yeah. To, so I was like, I was like, can we, yeah, can we put, like, how much content can we put on one of these? Cause I'm yeah, like, I was like, what's the storage on here? Ship these pull, out to people. Pull full 20 minute videos on there. But no, it's a great point because like, I don't give a fuck what anyone says. This is where the industry's moving. Have a CEO of a big public company, uh, that not big public company, they're big EMP. They will be going public soon. And same thing. He's like, Hey, I want to, like, I want to think about branding and creating a community around our company. I want to make content. Like, I guess like 99.5% of the industry does not think about that stuff, but that's the direction that the industry's going. And so it's like, you want, a community based around Hulk. Like you want evangelists out there that like, you know, I, I think of, um, did you guys ever know, uh, um, Magnum plugs, uh, frack plugs, the green, yeah. The yeah. Green, the green ones. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude never made a dime from them. And like, I was an evangelist for their product one because <laughs> At I trade loved, shows they would represent. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like I like love, I love the branding. I love the product. It was the best product. And like, they had me out there like preaching the gospel and I still do. And that's like, that's what happens when you put time and thought into branding in the community and, and things like that. So I think it's super well, important. Well, big thanks to you guys. I mean, y'all have given a platform for a lot of us to get up here and 
oh, hey. preach the brand and the industry. Dude, and look, you don't have to thank us. It's fun for us. So like, <laughs> no, but I, it's I, I feel bad like being thanked for something that's just like fun to us. Yeah, so, could, this, you know, this is what I do for a living. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, you know, it's crazy. We started this almost exactly three years ago and we were just kind of like reminiscing about that yesterday because I mean, I'm sure same, you know, sounds like we got to start around the same time and it's like three years flies by, but then you look back, like if you start really thinking about it, it's like, man, we've come so it's far. Crazy it's crazy how much we've accomplished. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because we're so hard on ourselves. And especially when times are really good, that's when I think we get even harder on ourselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you're looking at you're looking at the bottom line. You're like, look, it's a good month. But it's like, all right, we gotta get to it. <laughs> and you're like, all right, when are we gonna like slow down? I, I don't think there is ever a slow down, yeah. right? You just yeah. continue to grow this year. Like if you're a high performer and achiever, you're always you pushing yourself to the mm, best yeah. to be better, right? So it just never stops. Your podcast though, literally when it came out, Mark introduced me to it and I was spending a lot of time up in North Dakota at the time. And it was one of those like reliefs to be able to then listen to because at the time you step out, there's not a lot of identity anymore at that point, right? You're representing this company that's relatively new, Hulk, and then you're you're finding this like therapeutic relief through the podcast dude it's like because you're hearing these other stories with these other people going through the struggle and you're like all right shit this is why we're doing it dude that's so awesome to hear that was like part of our thesis when we started it was build a community of people that are building because it is a lonely it is a lonely road and you kind of feel siloed and um you know you go from working at a big service company to where people you know, have faith in you and answer. And then all of a sudden you're a nobody and, and no one wants to listen to you. That was part of our thesis for the show was like, Hey, there's other people out there that are building things as well. And they need to hear stories like this to know that, you know, they're not in it alone. So it's really mm-hmm. cool that, you know, that, that happened for you. Oh man. Anybody that starts up a company, right? Like if they want to reach out or more want to talk to them because yeah. just having that back and forth is, is so, so. Yeah. Important. Well, we got a, uh, I know for a fact that, you know, I have a lot of friends that are uh, ESP specialists. Uh, big shout out to my boy, Big D, ESP influencer. I'm sure he'll check this out. <laughs> um, so if someone wants to wants to check out Hulk, where can they find you guys at online? So our website is www.oiltoolsolutions.com. Um, and that is uh, where you can find us. There's cool. information on the product. And- cool. And then y'all are putting out content on LinkedIn too. So yeah, yeah LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is Oil Tool Solutions as well. And then there'll be a rebranding for Hulk. Um, cool. But yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we should Guys. explain. Hulk Hulk is, is resonated so well with everyone. Initially, it was the brand of the product. And Oil Tool Solutions was ours, the company, and provide the services. Yeah. But- Hulk's just taking off. Going so all in on Hulk. It's, it's yeah. all, yeah. it's all yeah. Hulk, like it. yeah. Everybody like it. references Hulk, Hulk. You're like, all right, we're going with Hulk. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Well, guys, thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you for being our first uh, show with three people and uh, playing around with our our set here and our experiment. So appreciate you guys. It. Yeah. Thanks for having Good us. Deal. Yeah. It was awesome. Thanks, James. Well, guys, thank when, you. you're, when you're laying pipe, use protection. Hulk protection. <laughs> 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 Love it. There you go. There's your commercial. Good tagline. All right, guys. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, take two seconds and uh, forward it to all your friends, forward it to all your colleagues. Uh, sign up for the BDE newsletter. It goes out every single week. Our open rate in our newsletter last month, or last week was 40%, which is wild. People are liking which it. Which for like a newsletter is absolutely insane. People are so liking it. People are liking it. We actually just launched the BDE show as well we had some massive technical difficulties for the first episode it's a rough. It was, we'll get there though it was live <laughs> but if you guys want to watch that it's gonna be at uh, 10 30 every tuesday morning uh go check that out it's on the website it's on our youtube and we'll catch you guys on the next episode cut, 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 cut.